rules and listen to the rice when the wind blows across the water. King harvest is sure they come. I work for the union cause she's so good to me and I'm Greetings all. It is time for WPKN's Organic Farm Stand, which comes to you the first and third Thursday of each month. Delighted to say that I have Guy Beardsley on the phone out there yes, in the Eco Garden in the White Hills of Shelton. Guy, so good to hear your voice. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, so we got the day off, right? You sticking with yeah, Right, exactly. <laughs> I think I think it's true for Vin- Vincent Kay, too, who is uh going to be joining us at uh, uh, 15, 20 minutes or so. Vincent being the uh, beekeeper um, who roams the state uh, and basically is probably responsible for a whole lot of pollination that goes on in this this state of Connecticut. Um, And so he'll be joining us. But he called me, we talked earlier today, and he said he was heading home from Shelton because he got they got caught in the rain, and uh, I guess that really is just not workable. When you can't you can't work the bees when it's raining, they don't want to come out. There's nothing much you can do. They want to protect themselves, and you want to protect them. But Vincent will be here, nevertheless, to tell us amazing tales in the world of uh, pollinators, and uh, and then special guest. A voice we haven't heard much recently is uh, that Suzanne Dusing is going to join us in the second half of the show uh, by 1230 or so. Um, Suzanne has many, many uh, amazing things that have happened to her recently. Uh, Some of them probably relate to uh, changes in her lifestyle that that are related to farming and uh, projects she's involved with, but some just momentous changes. as I understand, she sold her river house uh, on the Housatonic River in um, Oxford, is it, that she lives? Um, and uh, so that's big news. But anyway, we haven't heard her in so long. I'm, no doubt she has much to say. So that's all on 
tack coming in. We also uh, know that it is uh, getting to that point, critical point for a lot of planting. And so no doubt uh, you out there who are uh, grappling with some issues so related will have questions that are swirling around in, in your mind about, uh, you know, practices and, and best practices and, and things you have to do to get the most out of this season. So uh, we're going to open the phones right from the jump. Guy's going to give his report, but a lot of that will be kind of boosted and, and uh, ameliorated by interesting questions from you. So the phone number to call for that is 203-336-9756. That is our uh, number, 203 336 9756. I haven't mentioned it before. My name is Richard Hill. Chris is not here today. So um, let's kick it off, Guy. Um, We had um, monsoons. I mean, I I was up on Cape Cod and for three solid days, I mean, it was just torrential rain. I understand it was the case in the Berkshires. It it came all the way down here to Connecticut. Tell us uh, how you fared during that uh, deluge. Guy, well, you, oh, you there? Yeah, okay. The, uh, we had uh, we recorded well over five inches of rain in May, but most of it happening in the last three days. Uh, actually, the last uh, uh, the thirty first was pretty decent, but uh, beyond that, uh, the, pre- pre- the three previous days uh, were pretty pretty murky up here, and uh, <laughs> to the point where I almost got my four wheel drive tractor stuck. But uh, I was able to get it out. had to pull the harrow up and uh, get it out of there. So anyway, it wasn't all that smart of me to be harrowing and uh, all that wet anyway. But nevertheless, I did. But here we go. And so now what we've got going on is, uh, you know, June is the magnificent month. That is a month in which almost everything can be planted and uh, we got our peppers and uh, eggplant in, and we usually wait until the first week of June because uh, we got to get that soil warm. Uh, without all that rain, though, at the tail end of uh, May, we did not have that warm soil. But uh, we're going to get some 90-degree uh, temperatures, and they're going to definitely get that soil up into a position where we're going to plant it. However, we got to remember that when the temperature hits 90, the plants in our uh, latitude do not want to grow very much. Most of them go into a survival mode, and uh, some of the leaves curl up, and uh, they don't really grow a whole lot when the temperatures are hitting in the 90s. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it's what we're going to have to live with here, I think, uh, this coming weekend, or at least uh, from uh, Sunday on. Nevertheless, but uh, we'll still go with it. And uh, our lavender is uh, is doing well, uh, but it's uh, not yet colored. It's, uh, we got people who want to take pictures of the lavender fields in their nice color. And we have a French white lavender, but most people are considering the uh, dark blue and uh, some lighter shades of blue in the, in the lavender. And uh, they're going to come out, and they want to have some backdrop for some... Uh, 
magazine covers with uh, with lavender at the background, so that uh, that they will whoever they're they're trying to feature will will stand out in front of the lavender, which is fine with us. Yeah, as long as they uh, appreciate the lavender, and apparently they do. One, everybody should know that the French lavender is not the same as the English lavender. The English lavender has a tendency to give you a calming effect, whereas the French lavender has a tendency to give you a stimulating effect. And uh, most people uh, don't really recognize the fact that the French lavender is different than the English lavender. Well, that's just a small, a little point I thought I would bring up that uh, people might be, uh, might not be knowledgeable of that. Uh, I also have to point out to you that uh, just yesterday I started picking the first strawberries. And, uh, of course, the first strawberries are the ones that are big. But uh, since we put a little fertilizer on them, they are really in great shape. And as long as we have some sun to uh, give these leaves an opportunity to sweeten up the strawberries, then we'll be in good shape. Uh, I, we've had plenty of rain, so the strawberries are, are, are getting big. And uh, as long as we have the sun without a whole lot more rain, then uh, we're going to get some nice sweet strawberries also. Uh, the sun is very important in strawberries for me, anyway, in, in the organic business, because if you get, uh, if you get a whole lot of rain, uh, the, uh, as, as it does with sweet corn also, uh, the tendency is to water down the flavor. And uh, you would like to have more sun when you're ripening things up than you have rain. The rain is great in getting it to uh, the point where it's uh, big enough and uh, got the the plant strong enough to support a really good uh, opportunity for the sun to import uh, great uh, sweetness and uh, flavor, too, also sweetness and flavor. Well, anyway, strawberries are doing good. The asparagus are fine, Um, although, as I pointed out the last uh, time, uh, I had screwed up the asparagus bed to a fairly well three years ago when I put too much compost that had a low pH on it. Uh, and that, uh, that's, you know, another part of that compost, which I hadn't realized uh, quite to the extent that it was, I had a bunch of orange peels uh, in that compost. And uh, the orange peels are not a good thing to put into compost because uh, they have a tendency, if you're going to use the compost as a fertilizer, they have a tendency to sort of slow down the fertilizer's effect in whatever you're trying to grow. So um, best if you could take the orange peels and separate them out, and so don't put those orange peels in your compost. That also affects uh, the uh, grapefruit uh, rinds also. So nevertheless, uh, we... um, And lemon rinds too? Pardon? Lemon rinds too? You know, I don't know about lemon, uh, Richard. I've never, uh, I've never fooled around with lemon rinds. We don't have that much lemon. Actually, uh, unfortunately, what we do, we buy liquid uh, lemon juice uh, in a, in uh, bottles, and uh, as opposed to every now and then, I guess my son-in-law and daughter have uh, lemons. Uh, 
rinds, the whole lemons. But uh, I know orange and uh, grapefruit do not help out the compost at all. So uh, that's that's an interesting thing and something that people should know about. Okay. Well, anyway, can I go on here? Yeah. Well, I, I actually that's really important that you said that about the orange things because yeah, we right. you know we do some composting and it's always you know we're always tempted to to throw the the orange and the grapefruit in the compost you know to cut yeah. it up cut it up pretty small let so it has a chance to decompose but i was saying no i don't think so i don't think so but so i was right and i'm i feel good that i stuck to my guns and said no orange peels in the compost yeah that's 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 very good okay so uh you know our store sales uh, i should just point out that uh they, uh, there's a huge demand for cucumbers, uh, and I, of course, I support that because I always like to think cucumbers will stop headaches. Uh, they will. Uh, they, they've got some enzymes in cucumbers that are not in anything else, and so uh, cucumbers are just a remarkable fruit. That uh, we call them a fruit because that's what uh, that's essentially what they are. And um, we try to keep cucumbers, even keep uh, keep a cucumber in your pocket and uh, just take a bite on it now and then if you, uh, <laughs> if, <laughs> if you can do that. Because uh, it, uh, it really brightens up your day. Um, you know, if you're feeling a little logy in the middle of the afternoon, take about four or five bites of cucumbers. It'll perk you right up. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, so we get the, the cucumbers. The... Um, your blueberries are looking good. I guess yours are too now, right? You know something? In the last, I'm going to say, 10 days at the most, the whole blueberry situation in my place changed. They, I, I was worried that the little uh, tiny, tiny, like sort of embryo berries were going to somehow fizzle away and burn off as they sometimes do. They, in fact, that that process is completely different now. The berries, all the bushes, all the bushes, including the little this little one that we have in a little pot on our on our back porch, which does not, you know, it sits in a plastic bucket. It's very small. But I went out there yesterday, and every every bush had was replete with uh, well forming berries. And yeah, I, that's good. You know that. That's... <laughs> The, the rain does more than regular uh, watering uh, to those blueberries. Uh, of course, what we do, we put that, that blueberry booster on, and uh, that, that helps keep the pH where, where the bushes can take in all the nutrients. So uh, blueberries are magnificent. Yeah, they're looking good. They are, they are indeed. You know, <laughs> I've got to say, though, that we have uh, just this past week my brother identified bears in the orchard. <laughs> and this is the first time we've had any bears on the farm that we know of, even though there have been bears around. They've probably been there, but he saw bears in the orchard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that means that they're, they're in the vicinity. And of course, uh, Vincent is, uh, is very well aware of what yeah. bears can do because uh, he's explained in, in some detail how... They will tear up uh, beehives, and uh, they're, they're almost the antithesis of, of what everybody, if you're going to raise honey, you just don't want to have a whole lot of bears around. And he knows how to handle that, and when Vincent comes on, we'll remind 
we'll ask ask him to remind everybody on how he keeps the bears out of his out of his beehives, right? Yep. Yeah, he probably chased him over to your end of the neck of the woods because uh, he's got his uh, beehives well fortified against the bears. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that I should mention right now that this is an interesting thing, that at this time up until 4 o'clock this afternoon is the very best time of the month to plant any root crops. Uh, Estelle in the tour calendar has got that in the parentheses for roots, and uh, that is uh, if uh, you know. Of course, of course, it's a little rainy out there right now, but uh, or at least it is around here. And um, but root crops will do very well if you can get them into the ground right now. Uh, it's almost uh, uh, to the point where you could get out there in the rain. And actually, if, if you got the ground all prepared and get those root crops in, the potatoes would be magnificent. Beets, uh, our carrots are always in pots inside because we can't afford to grow a carrot in anything that has sticks, stones, twigs, leaves, or anything that, like that because they won't grow straight. But uh, in a pot that was sifted uh, soil and, uh, and compost, they uh, they do very well, and uh, they've been growing now since March, and uh, some of them are are they're not big size at all, but they're they're really sweet and tender, and uh, you could grab a three or four of them. We plant them really close together in the pots, and then thin them out, and uh, pick out uh, those as for my a group of about 15 or 20 of really small little carrots, but they are magnificent to eat just right out of, well, as long as you keep them clean, right out of, right out of hand, right? Yeah. So the carrots are great, and they're looking really good also. And uh, let's see, what else we got here? Let oh, me ask you, a Guy, about uh, green squash or zucchini and summer squash or yellow squash. Uh, is anything like that happening locally? Because I noticed the prices pretty much plummeted in the uh, organic stores that I go to over the past week or so. And then uh, we get this um, we get this box of food delivered to our house once a week. It's called Misfits. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's actually a profit or non-profit thing. But what they do is they pick out all the the, the vegetables that can. Are not they're not they're a bit unsightly. They're a bit they're a bit gnarled and and odd. Oh my goodness! Gracious, odd, yeah. And they throw them in a box, and and the box weighs good twenty pounds. It's it's a lot of stuff, and they and they send it to you, and you can get it every, once a week. So uh, last night, uh, Leslie unpacked the, packed the box, and she found these zucchinis that looked like shillelaghs. I mean, they were they were they looked like baseball bats. Huge, thick. Uh, we don't know what to do. I think we're going to try to make uh, what I call squash boats out of them. We're going to carve out. You well, know. you know, if you've got a bunch of teenagers around, that's what you want to feed them because <laughs> there's plenty of stuff there. We, uh, of course, a big uh, zucchini can make into some magnificent zucchini bread that uh, my that Pat, my wife, used to do. And uh, she would, uh, they would, that was great stuff. You could handle it at any time of the day or night. It was really good. 
Uh, anyway, uh, our but, but primarily it, zucchini are gunja right now, D-U-N-J-A. And uh, it's a magnificent, uh, for me, zucchini. And uh, we also have determined, now this is my, my own observations, that the yellow zucchini these days that you can get is better, in my opinion, than any of the yellow, other yellow squashes that uh, would be uh, either cook neck or straight neck. And uh, the only other one that we always like to have some of is uh, these uh, ones that are sort of like a little uh, cruller, uh, kind of like a knot of, uh, of uh, I guess they're, they're called, I don't, I don't really remember what they are called, but they're, they're a, a round sort of uh, zucchini hmm. that is excellent uh, to me. It's got a better flavor on it. It's a, that's a, one of which is called Sunburst. Uh, some, well, so, no, not, not so sunburst. And I can't remember the name of them right offhand, but uh, they, they they look like a knot of uh, a big uh, a big uh, nut, like you would find. But uh, that's in shape only. But they're really great. Anyway, so we we keep the uh, these uh, these uh, zucchini and the uh, the yellow, both green and yellow. Uh, as, and people seem to appreciate it very much. So, are so, they are so, they you, you harvesting and selling those now? Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, so so this really that's really uh, and is that all greenhouse grown or? Yeah, we, we we start them in the greenhouse. Yeah, but, but the, we put them out in the fields. Yeah. So the ones you're harvesting are have been growing outdoors for a while. Oh you know, uh, yeah, right. Absolutely. Wow. Yep. That's that's amazing because mm-hmm. yeah, I, no, they I, go very they you know, they really grow fast once you get the weather conditions for them. Uh, they don't grow that uh, fast uh, when you got nothing but a whole lot of rain, but uh, with the, with the sun and uh, just keeping the soil moist, you're going to have great zucchini. And uh, whether they're green or yellow, they'll be they'll be really great. Yeah. That's that's uh, amazing. Yeah, it's, it's it was so interesting, like how the market, you know, the uh, supply and demand uh, was so evident when I walked into uh, Food Works the other day, and I, I I walked past a zucchini. And I said, oh, they're they're always they're always like three bucks a pound or three fifty a pound, and then whoa, I whoa, how I, about that? I huh? did a double take. They, they were one ninety nine a pound. I said, whoa, that's this this has got to be local. <laughs> and, and that that's the first site I've seen of uh, local uh, green or yellow squash. So I'm yep. happy about that. Good. Listen, uh, Guy, I'm going to try to get Vincent on the phone. Can you um, grab a topic and uh, run with it for a bit while I uh, step away? Sure, sure. We'd absolutely be glad to do that, right? You say Chris is not on board, right? Unfortunately, no. Okay, all right. So anyway, uh, while you... Uh, do that uh, telephoning business. Uh, let me cover a little bit about corn, sweet corn. Uh, sweet corn is considered not only a fruit but also a leaf, and we're talking now about the Stella Natura calendar that uh, has everything broken down into either fruit, loo- uh, fruit, f- root, leaf, or flower. And um, corn considered can be considered both a fruit and a leaf. And uh, so when we plant that, we plant it, uh, we want to sure that we plant it on one of those days, either fruit 
Day or Leaf Day. And if you have the choice between the two, we'd rather go with Leaf because uh, that's more about what the corn is. But the corn takes a tremendous amount of nutrition in order to get what you want, considering the fact that uh, when you're looking for corn, you want a pretty good size ear, and you want that ear to be filled out pretty much to the tip. And so you've got to have your soil nutrition uh, pretty much under control. Uh, This is a situation in which you really need to have more nitrogen than you do, certainly than uh, the tomatoes or the uh, peppers or the eggplant. Uh, And you want to have about the same proportion of nitrogen in corn that you would if you're going to grow a a, uh, lettuce or a broccoli or a Swiss chard type of of product. Uh, Corn requires a lot of nitrogen. And uh, then as uh, as we get it about a foot and a half high, we'll give it another shot of uh, side dressing. And uh, the side dressing is important because at this point, we would like to have uh, emphasize the phosphorus and the potassium and as well as uh, the calcium. But phosphorus and potassium side dress on the corn is, is very important. And now most people don't have, particularly those that are dealing with just a backyard garden, don't have the space to grow corn. We always make sure we put in at least four rows of corn so that the pollen can float down and get all over the the silk. You remember that each individual silk on the corn has to be pollinated for there to be an ear to, I mean, a kernel develop in the ear at which that silk is is attached to the ear. And uh, so that's the reason why we put four rows together so that the pollen from the top will get on all the silk. If you just plant uh, one or two rows, the chances are very good that you're going to get a number of ears of corn that are not going to be well-developed. Uh, that is, you're not going to have kernels in all the little places for an ear for it. So that, that's what we, we, we'd like to make sure that there's plenty of, of uh, a block of corn growing so that the winds can carry on the uh, pollen, which is so small that you can't see it. The only way you could see it, if you walk through a, a big cornfield, you'll, when, in, when everything is in pollen, you'll come out looking a little bit yellow because <laughs> all of the pollen it is coming out and it will get all over you. Anyway, and unfortunately, that does some sort of a, a hayseed problem also, some of that pollen is. Nevertheless, uh, at this point, we make sure that uh, with the uh, peppers and eggplant, now is the time to get them in the ground from our view. I, 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 I'm very reluctant to sell peppers and eggplant until about the first week of June because you want that soil warm. Now, the peppers are very interesting because they need, in order to get started, they need a nice warm soil. But at the end of the season, the peppers can even stand a very light frost and still give you a good product. Uh, they can't stand a freeze, but they can still stand a frost. Anyway, that's what uh, one of the feet things which I want to talk about. There's another thing we want to talk about in the corn. 
Uh, actually, I have a question even... about the corn guy. That uh, Let me squeeze it in because actually we, we have Vincent standing by. Vincent's there. Yes, right. You know, I saw Vincent in uh, Common Bond uh, earlier yeah. this week. Oh, good. That's uh, nice. Great to it meet you, It was nice to meet you, guy. It was very nice to meet you. Oh, you never, you never actually met each other? Yeah. No, no. Wow, that's amazing. That's that's. So it was, it was a treat for us too. I I walked by guy and I and I heard his voice. He was talking to one of the the employees there, and I said, "That's guy uh, from the radio." So I turned around and, <laughs> and there he was, myself. Vincent, in all his he had all his swords into plowshares all over. Oh, the we had our shirts, our shirts on, our hats, our our uniform, of course. Uh huh. Yeah, we 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 we've branded ourselves, but it, they're nice T-shirts. You know, it's not often that you get a pocket T-shirt. You know, I yeah, we'll have to have to take get those but out you know, on the to, market. To segue a little bit, um, Richard. Um, to segue a little bit um, on what Guy was just saying, because honeybees um, love corn tassel or pollen, and you'll often see them covered with um, honeybees because it's a time in the season when corn usually blossoms that there's not a lot of other um, blossoms out there. It's mm. usually during the later or the, uh, the what we call the dearth in Connecticut when, when uh, you know, people's gardens may be blooming, but out in nature, out in the woods and in the, in the pastures, there's not a lot else blooming. So they'll go um, heavily, heavily um, pollinating on uh, or gathering the pollen as food for, uh, for themselves. But uh, you'll see the honeybees all over the corn tassel. Mm. Fantastic. So, Vincent, before I turn you loose, I want to ask Guy one more question about the corn. Of course. And this is sort of a personal uh, thing having to do with my own taste in corn. And I know a lot of people prefer to eat very young corn when the kernels, uh, when you peel off, peel off the layers of skin, shuck the corn, the kernels look uh, a little bit pale. They're, they're, they're very small, but... That corn, to me, is the most delicious. It's the sweetest, and uh, it's the most delectable. So the question is... You raise it, you raise it that way, Richard? Um, do I what? You raise it that way, or you, that's what you're buying? Yeah, no, when I buy it, I'm looking for that, that younger corn. And yeah. um, so the question is, is, am I sacrificing nutrition for my... Uh, the, the chills and thrills of the sweet corn, or in other words, is there more to be gained uh, in terms of uh, vitamins and nutrients by letting it mature a little bit more? Well, it's from uh, from a common sense point of view. Uh, I'm regarding any products, if you get a, a, a mature product, you're going to have more nutrition in it than you are when you have with something less than mature. Okay. Well, yeah, but that's probably, that's not a real positive answer, but that's, uh, in hey, general terms, that, uh, that applies to almost anything that you're, that you're growing. Well, that's the plain truth. I'm glad to hear it. So, uh, corn is for, purely for pleasure, for me. Yeah. Not, not so much for nutrition. <laughs> right. All right. So, Vincent, I uh, understand you got chased out of Shelton today because of the rain. <laughs> Uh, oh, no, we were in Seymour, but yeah, Seymour, the, rain, sorry. the yeah. rain shortened our day for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. But um, we were out uh, checking a, a bee yard deep in the woods, uh, by probably about a half a mile down this trail. And yes, the bears are everywhere, it seems like, and it's just um, a curse, unfortunately. You know, people really do need to understand that this bear issue, um, the black bear issue, 
has been artificially created by the state government. And I'm not um, a, a paranoia. You know, I'm not uh, putting forth theories on government, you know, kind of uh, plots here. But th- this is what they did. They, they reintroduced these bears into areas where there were no bears. They didn't just wander down from Litchfield County because there were too many and they were moving on and spreading, you know, their good bear fortune. No, no, no. Uh, they were put here, and the state of Connecticut wanted to open a hunting season on these bears once they became such a nuisance, and there were so many of them that people would just throw up their arms and say, of course, let's shoot the bears. And uh, the uh, state legislature, um, I think, fortunately, came to a good decision and said, no, we're not going to shoot the bears. Um, you created this problem. And so far, um, there's been no solution to it. So um, we're left as beekeepers um, to do the humane thing, and that is to try to deter the bears from our bee yards um, by the use of solar electric fencing, because some of our bee yards are way out in in the middle of nowhere. Um, So the solar panels work pretty good, and most of our fencing does put forth anywhere from 8,000 to 10,000 volts, depending upon conditions. And there's other little tricks that we use for skunks and bears, like pieces of plywood that we put down around the hives with sheetrock screws sticking up. And, you know, it doesn't take them long to to figure out that if they step too close to the hives, they're going to get a a sore foot. So we do little things like that. And so far, knock on wood, it's worked pretty good. We had some damage this year while the bees were in an orchard that we rented to for pollination. And, of course, during that period of time, um, there is no fencing. There is no uh, – we should have probably brought some some boards with us, uh, but we didn't. Um, but, yeah, we had some damage by bears uh, up on Sleeping Giant Mountain, uh, uh, Blue Hills Orchard, uh, earlier in the year. So, anyhow, um, that's that. But it's it really is, um, as Guy was mentioning, that everything really that needs to be planted really should be planted in the month of June. And it is, on, for beekeeping, also the high mass of honey production. So we scrambled once all of our hives came back from orchard pollination. And uh, we, we scrambled to get uh, honey boxes on. And we put out over 1,000 honey boxes. Each will weigh, when they're filled, uh, you know, somewhere between 50 and 70 pounds uh, of honey. So we've got, we've got a harvest in progress, and we, now we need the weather to cooperate. And... Uh, Prior to this rainy spell, it was. We rarely get the nectar flows, or honey flows, as they're called in the business, from black locust trees and tulip poplar. But we did get quite a bit of black locust. So there's some beautiful, very light-colored honey in the hives right now. And uh, what we're really hoping for is that the weather cooperates in the next two weeks for the linden honey. Because here in New Haven and and in Connecticut in general, uh, the linden and sumac honeys are prime. And there's a lot of it, so we're hoping hoping that uh, we get no rain <laughs> or little rain, anyhow. Uh, let the bees fly and gather, and and uh, that will be fantastic. But then, t- t- uh, talk a little bit about the sumac honey. Is uh, describe that plant, and uh, well, I, I know there's a poison. Sumac. There's a poison yeah, sumac. sumac with poison. Sumac. Yeah, and we don't. I don't even know if we have poison sumac in Connecticut. I've never seen it. Right. But most of the sumacs. Um, and there's a, a variety of them. There's staghorn sumac, you probably have seen with the red berries. 
Yeah. None of that is toxic or poisonous, and it produces a, uh, a fantastic uh, honey. Uh, and you'll see when the blossoms first open, they're almost greenish, um, and then they turn red as they ripen into berries. But uh, that sumac is another invasive plant, of course, that you see along the highways, along with the the uh, autumn olive. That's another uh, honey flow that we um, actually did pretty well with this year. Um, Russian olive or autumn olive is known as, but that was uh, planted as a retain uh, an erosion control uh, method by the state of Connecticut along the highways back in the 50s and 60s, and it's kind of you know considered an invasive plant now, but it produces um, a lot of honey, and the weather did cooperate for us. So, you know, fortunately, we're able to gather quite a bit of honey um, from that. And it also produces a nice berry for the birds uh, migrating through um, in the fall. So it's, um, you know, it's an important part of our environmental um, uh, impact on, on, on nature and uh, the environment. So, Vincent, uh, can I ask a question? Of course. Right. Uh, we, my son-in-law and I have developed uh, a, a pollinator pathway. And uh, mm-hmm. it's out there toward the edge of uh, what, what, of our garden area. It's a pretty good-sized piece of land that uh, we've uh, I've harrowed up, and it's ready for planting. But mm-hmm. uh, just wondering my, what you think might be the better uh, things to put in a pollinator pathway that there would well, be it's a, good it's for a tri- bees. Well, it's a tricky uh, subject because most of the the things for honeybees, anyhow, and probably bumblebees and orchard bees. And that form of pollinator, um, probably the best thing would be um, white or yellow clover. Oh, okay, um, right. And okay. I know you don't say pink clover, no. No, well, that, that's a good nitrogen binder also, but the honeybees can't get to it. Yeah, um, right. Alfalfa is another great one for honeybees. Alfalfa, good show, right. Mm-hmm. That's an, I, I the other thing is, that. though, it, it, it will bring in deer, so that's the problem. If you do have wildlife... Um, Everything loves clover and alfalfa. And, um, you know, it's one thing to have a pasture for horses, uh, but it's another thing to have a, a pasture for, for dairy cattle or, or cows because I had an old friend who was a, a dairy farmer in Woodbridge years ago, and he's since passed away, Shepherd, uh, Freddie Shepherd. And um, he always we always had conversations. I said, Fred, could you... And he would actually seed the fields with clover and alfalfa because it, it raised the uh, protein or the cream content on his milk to a higher level, and he would get yeah. more money for it. Yeah, and, I knew um, alfalfa when we, were at, when we had cows. My father would always, right. uh, when we would plant one field after the other, we'd put corn in the field, and then the next year that particular field would go into uh, some yep. sort of a grain uh, or a combination yep. of either orchard grass, timothy, and alfalfa. We would put that mm-hmm. mix in. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm not sure. But I would always have an argument with, with, with... But that's with, what he got out of Yukon when he was Stores Agricultural College way back years ago, right? Yeah. But I always had an argument with Freddie Shepard. I said, Freddie, could you, could you allow the alfalfa to bloom? He said, "I'm not planting alfalfa for your honeybees. This is I'm planting it for my cattle, and I'm going to cut it when I cut I cut it." Because he would always try to cut it just before bloom, yeah. And because uh, the the uh, nitro or the, the protein was higher then in the in the, in the bud. And yeah. um, so let me ask you: Is vetch anything? Does, can can bees do anything with vetch? 
purple vetch um, is a is a good source um, of you know mid to late summer um, forage for honeybees. Okay. It's also um, a good thing to plant in a pollinator pathway. Um, it's to be reckoned with if it gets hold and, and it takes over an area. Um, you know, you'll have a heck of a time getting rid of it. But I mean, yeah, you know, that's, yeah. that's what you know the right place for it. Um, if you have it, it's a fantastic uh, cover crop. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. How about oats and uh, peas? Well, that, I don't know about that, good? but certainly, certainly buckwheat, guy. Buckwheat, buckwheat, uh, is, buckwheat is a better, fantastic, better, right? uh, yeah. uh, and that's an annual. It's kind of a walking annual or a walking perennial, they say, because what it will do is bloom and then drop seeds, and it will will restart all over again. So if it's yeah. a good year, you can get two or three blooms on one uh, application of, of buckwheat seed. That, and, uh, that sounds like it would bring the deer in, though, does Buckwheat, not so much. Uh, the no. clovers and alfalfas, definitely. Okay. Um, the buckwheat, they'll, they'll sometimes bed down in it, but I haven't really seen them eat it that much. Um, there's other things that they would prefer, Um and it's interesting to note that the honeybees will only go to it in the morning because that's when it secretes its nectar. Mm-hmm. And in the afternoon, it, even though it's still open as a blossom, it doesn't have any nectar. And, and the honeybees can be quite angry because they keep coming back and there's nothing there. So if you don't want to get stung, uh, <laughs> avoid an afternoon buckwheat field. <laughs> How about that? That's, a, that's yeah. an interest. I've never heard that before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah well... <laughs> I didn't think the bees it's, could uh, get angry. Really the, uh, they, how about that? That is amazing, right? Yeah, it's it's really the high mass of beekeeping right now. It's what we live for um, all year long. And right now the um, the hives are strong. The populations are in the tens of thousands, um, depending upon how you manage the hive. And, um, you know, we're on the edge of swarming a lot of times. We caught a couple of swarms last week. Uh, we do manage our honeybee colonies in one deep box, or one super, as they're called, with a queen excluder, which keeps the queen laying eggs only in that one box, and then the honey boxes go on top of that. So we, we crowd the bees, um, but it's it's uh, it's a natural thing. They're not crowded to the point where they, they, they can't get out. I mean, there's an entrance at the front of the hive, which is always available and always open. They're never closed in at all. But... Um, we find that the bees can keep the brood warm on cool nights easier in one box, and um, it's just an easier system to harvest from. So, uh, uh, But we, we, we do sometimes get swarms that come out of them, and, of course, swarming is a complex uh, topic. I hate to bring it up in a way, but it uh, you can almost do a college course just on swarming and um, why they swarm, and, uh, and there's many, many factors, but... Uh, uh, some of the simpler ones are the fact that when a hive gets to be a certain population and it gets so crowded that the worker bees say, okay, well, if it's this good, let's just try to reproduce ourselves as a unit. And so they make more than one queen. And so only one queen can exist in a hive. So what happens 21 or 24 days later after they decide to um, have the queen lay a, a fertile egg in their queen cells that they produce um, is that the queens hatch out and they either do battle and one queen will will kill the others and only one queen will survive or they'll swarm and the parent or mother queen um, gathers as many bees as she can and she's the one that leaves with the swarm and uh, the virgin queens are left behind uh, to 
go out, remate, and start the whole process over in that one hive. Now, the swarm is an interesting creature in and of itself. It's a, it's a, a group of bees that flies like a comet through the air, and they land on a branch or, or something, who knows what, but you'll see them hanging there quiet as anything, and you hardly know they're there. But then they send out scout bees to find a new home, and that might be in a hollow tree. It might be uh, under the clappers of somebody's house or under the deck of something or uh, just out in the woods. Mostly it's hollow trees. Um, but it's quite amazing because they'll send out scout bees days in advance to find this while the cluster is hanging on that branch. And all of a sudden they just work themselves into a word and they just go, and it's, it's, it's something to behold. It's one of the most beautiful sights. And you can stand right in the middle of this swarm, and they'll just go around you. They don't really, they're not interested at all. They're following the queen in mid-flight. And like radar, you can see the bees coming and going from the swarm as it's flying, and they're actually directing it to the new home. It's, oh, that's it. Yeah. It, it's, it's so amazing. You just wonder... You know, with animal cognition, you know, just how complex uh, these little little cold-blooded insects can get. And it's, it's just, uh, you know, it's heart-rendering, and it's just, uh, it, it's just a beautiful thing. I was going to ask, you know, it raises the question, like when the scout bees go out, you said, I mean, does somebody say, okay, guys, let's see, we need uh, Johnny, Jimmy, uh, Peggy, and, and Bill to, to go out and do the, you know, f- find the place. Who makes the decision as to which bee goes? Exactly. Who, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? It's just, but they go out and, you know, you'll find them kind of investigating the strangest little places. And you say, oh, I know what they're doing. They're, they're there for a purpose. They're actually trying to figure out whether this is dry, whether it's safe. It's, you'll never find a swarm of bees go to a dead tree, even though it might be hollow, because that's not a safe place for a swarm to be. It might, it might crack and topple over. And uh, so there's little things like that. They know inherently what they're looking for. And uh, so this is how they do it. And it's, it's quite amazing. It's just unbelievable. I appreciate that you, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody is tremendously interested in a swarm because most people, if you're out in the, in the outside, uh, you'll see a swarm uh, maybe not once a year, but uh, once maybe every two or three years and wonder how in the world do uh, beekeepers uh, handle those swarms? Well, a lot of times if we were called and, you know, we're not, <laughs> here's the thing, we get calls every day. Um, with bee problems, and sometimes they're not even bees. They're hornets and wasps, which are different critters, but they all have stingers, so they get lumped into one category called a bee. But sometimes we have the time, and we'll ask certain questions of the person that says they have a swarm hanging in, let's just say, their apple tree in their backyard, and we'll say, you know, well, how high up is it? Um, how, is it the size of a football, a basketball, a softball? And they'll say, no, it's a gray paper nest. And then, of course, you know right away it's a white-faced hornet's nest. It's not a, it's not a honeybee colony at all. But if it's a cluster of bees and they're sitting there and we have the time and um, it hasn't been messed with, um, you know, some people call us such a last-ditch effort because, you know, they've tried to spray them with a hose or insecticide or something to get rid of them, and they're still there hanging in the tree, you know, like wet, wet kittens, you know, or puppies. And they just, uh, you know, are close to being dead, so we, we're not interested in that. So, you know, if people call us and it's a good swarm, we go over with a 
empty hive, a wooden box with frames of comb, and we just put it right underneath it. And, you know, my helper and I, we, you know, we'll work together. We got one the other day in our own bee yard, and we worked off the tailgate of the, the truck. We backed the truck right up underneath the bush where it was hanging, and we shook it right into the box and put it down on the ground. And um, actually, that's where we were today. We were moving it from that bee yard because it was outside of the electric fencing. And I said, this is not going to last long with these bears here. And it was a nice size cluster, so we wanted it. So we moved it to another bee yard in Oxford uh, this morning. And then just as we put it into that new bee yard with an electric fence, it started to rain, so our day was shortened. But, um, yeah, we, ca- we catch them, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's called freebies. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a way to increase your number of hives. And, sure. Guy, you'll love this. this there was an old, there's an old saying that it goes like this. A swarm of, a swarm of bees in May is worth a load of hay. A swarm in June is worth a silver spoon. But a swarm in July ain't worth a fly. <laughs> and the reason it goes in that progression... I like that. Is, you should put that on some of your plates and trays. And, well, a swarm of bees in the beginning of the season is worth quite a bit because once they form a new hive and gather honey... They could even produce a sur- surplus crop of honey for the beekeeper. And in June, it's worth quite a bit, maybe a silver spoon, but not as, not as much as a load of hay, which is worth a great deal. And then, you know, as you get closer to winter or, or the dearth, um, when flowers are drying up and there's just not enough time for, for a honey crop, and, you know, you don't wonder if you want to spend the time catching the swarms at all in July. We do because we, we like our bees and we sometimes feed them just you know, sugar to keep them, to get them a, you know, a boost towards winter until the fall flowers start. But um, in general, um, the, the later in, in the season, the worse it gets as far as bee management goes. They, you know, they know what they want and they know what they have and just better off not messing with them. What uh, I was going to ask you, um, yeah, well, it's a topic that comes up every uh, spring because it's part of the first group of uh, blooms, blossoms that the bees go for, according to, to what you, your experience, is skunk cabbage. Um, mm-hmm. Do you know much about that that uh, species? Because, you know, I, I, as a kid, you know, we always, oh, my God, skunk cabbage, oh, it stinks so bad. And, you know, yeah. but then, you know, <clears throat> as a uh, an adult uh, hippie, trying to develop a good diet, I started eating a lot of greens. And I said, man, there sure is a lot of, that's a great source of greens if you could eat it. Uh, And then you started talking about the flowers from skunk cabbage. And Mm -hmm. there's a distinct, you know, there is a bit of a skunky smell from it. Um, What do you know about, number one, does that smell... uh, get into the processing of the honey and number two are those greens edible that i will tell you right off the bat i don't know whether they're edible but i know one thing and there's a lot of species of plants that come through the winter and i'm just going to speak of the ones i know in new england and often they have developed over millions of years a defense system towards um critters that want to eat them so in other words poison ivy is poison for a reason because 
quite frankly, the leaves are delicious to a cow or a goat. And um, the same thing with skunk cabbage. It stinks to try to ward off um, uh, the, uh, the critters that might want to eat them. And um, the, uh, let's see, another uh, May apple is another one, a slightly hallucinogenic. But that also tries to, um, uh, you know, ward off animals that might want to eat them. Even tulips and daffodils um, also are the same. They have a slight toxicity. Um, so there's, there's defense mechanisms like that, um, that, uh, that, that these plants have developed over the, the millions of years they've existed. So, but I don't know whether um, skunk cabbage is edible. I know the bees probably go to it more for the pollen early in the spring um, because they're trying to raise brood. Um, so they want the protein um, probably more than the carbohydrates. I don't know if it produces nectar. Certain plants produce more pollen than nectar. Um, things like chestnut trees produce more pollen than nectar. Um, in general, um, you know, there's, there's different rules. that you, you Over the years, you get to know as beekeepers. Um, and that's the long version of not knowing, Richard, <laughs> an answer to your question. Thanks for that. Richard, uh, you still there? Yeah, yes, I, I, I am was, here, yes. Yeah, we're all here. Um, Susan is not here. There's something... Ah. Oh, wait a minute. Sounds like Susan's calling in <laughs> for the last two minutes of our show. We're down to two minutes, by the way, everybody. We have oh. to be very strict about that. Um, so I'm going to queue up our outro music and actually... I'm sorry, Richard, I can't... No, oh, yeah, I'm not sure what's going on here, Vincent, our... our as we get ready to move to our new studios, our old studios are collapsing. But uh, um, so, um, yeah, so um, Suzanne, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, missed the boat with us today okay. because of our bad phone system. So, um, well, you know, yes. So I want to mention that we now are down to uh, 50 seconds. So okay. let's see uh, if uh, we can wrap it up here. Vincent. Um, we're going to be watching you like a hawk and, uh, and, and following your movements. Every day you're on this show is an adventure. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, well, and, I, and I enjoyed meeting Guy over at the Common Bond Market. And I, I will say, Guy, we were going to even, getting rained out today, we were going to, put, uh, we were growing bucket potatoes. Um, and we were uh, going to add dirt to our, our potato rack as the plant grows up through the bucket. But we just, it was too wet, so we're going to do it tomorrow or Saturday. Yeah, All right. yeah. Well, we, guy, we don't like to plant uh, yeah. potatoes, Got particularly it. in mud. Got to end know? it here, guys. Guy Beardsley, okay. thank you so much. Thank you. Vincent, thank